0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Before we dive into this week's episode, I actually have another story for you guys that I want to share uh, that actually happened over the holidays. So, I was fortunate enough to get some quality time with my 18 year old brother, Nick, over Christmas. And we had actually been wanting to create some custom hoodies for a side hustle that the two of us are working on together. And so, we sat down on the couch. Uh, with our masks on, of course, and I watched as Nick actually led the Google search. As he combed through the initial search results for design custom hoodies, I watched as he'd actually go ahead and hit the back button before a couple of the sites even finished loading. What are you doing, I exclaimed after the third time of him doing this, and he said, dude, you know, our internet is great. If the site doesn't load quickly, they're clearly not a reputable e-commerce brand. And, you know, for the sites that did load in a satisfactory time for Nick, he'd immediately go to the top right of the homepage and look for a search bar. If he couldn't find a search bar or if his initial search didn't return what he was looking for, he'd hop back to the search engine result pages. So, you know, Nick was, like, noticing my confusion around his digital behavior. And so he said, again, if they don't make it easy to find what I need via search, I'm going to go somewhere else to find it. So, you know, he says, no one's got time to make sense of a website's poor navigation. And I was just like, I was like bewildered, being like, who are you, Uh, sitting next to Nick's. But, uh, you know, at the time, I didn't think much of this interaction. But, you know, then I stumbled upon a company that is dedicated to tackling the very challenges that Nick encountered on his journey to find the best brand to order a custom hoodie from. And that company happens to be the sponsor of this week's podcast episode. Meet Squiz, a student experience platform that offers a full suite of solutions developed exclusively for higher education. So Squiz has many exceptional products that are worth checking out. But the two that I have been most impressed by is their custom site search product. Now, for the sites that did load in a satisfactory time for Nick, he'd immediately go to the top right corner of the homepage and look for a search bar. And if you couldn't find a search bar or if his initial search didn't return what he was looking for, he'd go ahead and hop back to the search engine result pages. So Nick, like noticing my confusion around his digital behavior, said, dude, again, if they don't make it easy to find what I need via search, I'm going to find someone else who does. No one's got time to make sense of poor website navigation. For next generation, which is really the next wave of digital natives, search is not ancillary to navigation. Search is navigation. And FinalBack enables schools like yours to build custom smart site search. So that your nursing program page actually comes up when someone searches nursing instead of that one nursing faculty event registration page from like two years ago. You guys know which one I'm talking about. And their DXP, is so it's so much more than a traditional website CMS. Now, a website CMS is meant for exactly what it claims to be, content management, right? Content management system is what website CMS stands for, by the way. Um, and it's an important part of your MarTech stack and an important part of the student life cycle. But that's just it. It's an important part A DXB, which is a digital experience platform, is built to be the hub of your Martech stack. It relies on powerful integrations, data management, and an open platform in order to create the kind of experiences simply not possible with just a CMS. Or at least impossible without a giant IT web team to support all of the APIs and constant upkeep, yada, yada, yada. So... Say goodbye to the finicky plugins of WordPress and the crappy site architecture of Drupal that, by the way, totally hurts your SEO, and get ready to meet the fastest, the most powerful, and the most personalized website platform for colleges and universities on the market. Today, the student experience begins online, not at school. And as an enrollment marketer, your job is to ensure that prospective students find what they are looking for as quickly as possible. Squiz is the secret friction reducer that schools across the globe are using to not just attract students like my brother Nick, but actually to nurture them to the point of enrollment in a way that is conducive, not counter to how they consume information and make purchasing decisions. To learn more about Squiz's secret sauce, head on over to enrollify.org forward slash Squiz and be sure to start your research with their search bar. All right, guys, take care and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. My name is Zach Cruz, and I am your host for today's episode. And today I have an awesome guest uh, who I can't wait to introduce to all of you. And this guest is none other than Steve Schutz, who is the interim special advisor to the vice president for student affairs at San Jose State University right now. Steve, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here.
0: So, Steve, we've been we've been going back and forth a little bit about uh, I'm actually in San Diego this morning. You are in freezing middle of nowhere ish. Uh, what, what's the temperature where you are right now again?
1: Uh, it's the. I think it's the high of the day is probably 23. But like I, I mentioned, we it'll be it'll be negative 23 by this time tomorrow. So
0: wow, I it times. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think I'll stay here um but thanks for thanks for the invite um but uh steve i like to start every interview with a this is actually new um in 2021 i was like how, how do i change up sort of how i want to start these interviews and um had this idea sort of really actually inspired by Tim Ferriss about starting each interview with just a different question, a random question uh, for the interviewee. So uh, the first question to be totally yeah. candid with you that came to mind probably because it's something I've been thinking about myself um, is what's something you've changed your mind about recently? It, this could be as you know simple as <laughs> I've always loved apple juice and and now I really love orange juice. Um, you know, or it could be something a little bit, a little bit deeper, um, maybe, maybe professionally related, maybe not, but I'm just curious, what's something that you've recently changed your mind about?
1: Yeah. Wow. Okay. Good start. Uh, you I, you know, the way you did, t- I'll, I'll do both in terms of something simple and something a tad more complex that relates to the work that I do. So, <laughs> The simple one is that I recently changed toothpaste brands. You know, oh, I, I don't mean okay. to get into a big controversial topic right off the bat, Zach. But <laughs> um, you know, I was always a big Colgate fan and, for years and years, and then tried this Crest Radiant White toothpaste, and and uh, I am a total convert on this. Really, I'm, now, you know, I'm a big you know advocate for uh, the Crest to- toothpaste folks. So you know, Crest is best, is what they say, right? So um that's that, that, that's you know a, a relatively recent change of of mind uh with respect to my uh my daily routine is the that other
0: wait a, a quick question <laughs> on that is that is that because <laughs> is it because of the taste is it because are are you are you noticing whiter teeth like why why the why the love of the yeah, switch uh,
1: sure right now yeah no i i am noticing a difference you know i'm a huge coffee drinker which probably doesn't help me in this regard so uh yeah so i'm noticing uh results uh from from using this uh this radiant white toothpaste and okay hopefully i'll check from the crest people soon enough but um yeah i'm running i'm running it down right now steve you
0: might you might be influencing me so um, yeah right so i've gone
1: through a number of colgate brands but uh, and and just didn't haven't seen the results that i've seen uh with the toothpaste so again i'm i apologize for getting into such a controversial
0: topic uh, (laughs)
1: topic. i know you don't like to get to political on these
0: shows Uh, yeah uh, that's, but you went there. You bad. went there. You know what? And, I did. And this I week's po- <laughs> and this week's podcast is sponsored routine. by Crest. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> that's right. I'm sure your other sponsors. Oh gosh. Them. Oh my god. Okay. So the other piece, and this I think is is not uncommon. Um, you know, I've and we'll talk about this a little bit more. I'm sure. But you know, I spent my whole career, almost my whole career, in sort of traditional higher education, you know, working to uh, attract and enroll traditional undergraduate students to the schools that I work for, I consult with. And, you know, up until recently, I I was convinced that uh, online uh, delivery would not have a measurable impact on traditional higher education enrollment. You know, hmm. so there, it'll always be an aspect of that, but I never thought that it would be would have a measurable effect until recently, right? The whole pandemic thing and the way in which institutions have reacted to that. Um, I think, I, I think, you know, traditional higher education is, is going to have a run for its money, yeah. um, you know, along with all the other pressures of demographics, of price, of competition. Um, this is real, I think. And, you know, again, and I, I don't think it's going to dominate the market, but I do think it's going to have a measurable effect impact on traditional schools ability and i'm i'm not talking the elite you know the 5%ers here that will fill their classes no matter what you do but i'm talking about you know those regional publics and uh, you know the the then you know the the below top 25 us news privates right i mean yeah. these are the ones in, in the battle every day for students attention and i think that it's this is just going to make things much more difficult for them to attract and enroll students. So that's, uh, that was, that was something that I just uh, sort of come to peace with recently, uh, as a result of everything that's going on.
0: That's a big, you know, revelation. And I think that that you being somebody who has, uh, seen a lot in, uh, from a variety of perspectives and vantage points. Um, I think that that's, that's a very sort of like credible, uh, observation. And, um, I, you know, I, I am certainly somebody who is watching this very closely as well and seeing really how schools are adapting and and adjusting to to this reality. what was funny is this is somewhat tangential but uh, I think relate, related in the sense of hey how is higher education going to uh, traditional higher education going to compete? Um, with just changes in quite frankly consumer preferences and behavior and i was chatting with a a client actually who's going through a major website redesign and we were uh, discussing the fact that the dean was had come in and was gonna change some things, um, as deans often do, and had these ideas for these new brand pillars. And the team was was uh, was sharing with the dean that you know nothing about these pillars seems particularly like new or innovative. And anyway, so she was just uh, kind of venting to me, but also just really sort of trying to pick my brain around. Hey, what do, what did I think about? how schools specifically, uh, undergraduate institutions should be positioning themselves on their website to, uh, today's, you know, high school, high school students primarily. Um, and one of the things we, we sort of teased out in our, during our conversation was the fact that there's been countless surveys that have uh, popped up recently about the fact that anywhere between 50 and 75% of kids, if you, if you talk to kids who are uh, in middle school and are just entered into high school, they talk about wanting to be creators. Like they talked about wanting to be YouTube stars or Instagram influencers or digital creators. And I'm like, yeah. "Yeah." Uh And, and, And it was sort of like what school is making it obvious how to do that within the context of a four- year degree? And so we had this like fascinating conversation. I'm like, hey, like if if P- if fifty to seventy five percent of kids are saying, "I don't want to grow up to be a doctor or a lawyer or a businessman, like I want to grow up to be a creator where Where are the programs? Where is the copy? where is where is the language explaining how that school, well how any school for that matter welcomes this new demographic of student um anyways so
1: right no that's true and i you know and and to piggyback on that i i had a conversation working with the school well at at san jose right you mentioned them um you know we're having conversations about you know attracting students in in new and different ways and and it's an institution where you know attracting students hasn't been a challenge but you know, sustaining that over the long haul will be for a lot of institutions. And, I, you know, I was doing some research as well on on websites, academic websites, because that's typically where students will go to find out about, you know, opportunities at their institutions. And I'm floored at the number of institutions who still list out, um, you know, course requirements um, you know, learning outcomes, which, you know, granted, is, is important information, but for a student who's saying, what can I do with, you know, X degree to go to a website and to see, well, here are our learning outcomes and here are, you know, the, the course expectations over time, you know, that's not the content they're looking for, right? Yeah. They're looking for interactive content. They're looking for student stories. They're looking for outcomes, um, to what this degree will do for me. And, and yeah, eventually they're going to need to know which courses to take and when, but that shouldn't be the first step uh, or the first introduction into the opportunities that a student has to study biology at San Jose versus uh, Kansas State. So yeah. that's that's another thing that just, I, I, I am surprised that the number of institutions is still Rely on that kind of information to convey educational opportunities and experiences for students.
0: Yeah, or even uh, even I had this idea the other day while I was scrolling through actually a different uh, uh, school's website, and you know, and this is present at both the undergraduate and graduate level, but it's not it's not uncommon to see like coursework, right? As you're as you're talking to you, and then just see like business three hundred one, you know, accounting two hundred two, like. <laughs> And this literally, I mean, this is like, I think a million dollar idea folks, but like, so for anyone listening, like steal this, but, um, for the school that like takes that and translates that to, Hey, here's where you learn like the fundamentals of how to start a company and Hey, here's how you should think about, right. What financial planning looks like within the context of a company or, or personally, right. Just doing like the simple work of coming up with like the one-liner that actually explains like what the heck Business 101 is um, to, again, a high school student who who just sees – and oftentimes it doesn't even say (laughs) Business 101. It says, you know, BUS 101. And it's just like we we are creating unnecessary friction and complications when we could be just so specific and simple about like here's where you learn X. Here's where you learn Y. Hey, now you're going to learn Z uh that simple simple tweak and copy i guarantee if you throw a form on there right that page will ha- will will generate insane conversions because all you're doing is you're, you're right. you know the answer to it you should know the answer to it as an enrollment management as an excuse me uh, an enrollment manager um and yet like for whatever reason we just decide to copy and paste whatever is listed in the registrar and like Assume that the the type the technical title of the course is what prospective students and parents care about.
1: Right, right, exactly. And it and it it's something you would never expect an admissions counselor to talk about at a college fair or a virtual event, right? Yeah. What can you do with biology? Well, at first you take Bio 101 and learn the <laughs> basics of of the. I mean, that's it's sort of know your audience, right? Who's looking at the website? Um, and the other piece is, you know, there is, with the changing demographics piece, there's a whole sea change of students coming to institutions who don't know the higher education, you know, lexicon, right? Yeah. They don't know what a bio, what's the difference between a Bio 101 or, a, you know, a Chem 305 or something like that. And so, you know, you've got to, again, know your audience and convey, you know, the relevant and engaging messages to students as opposed to just regurgitating, you know, academic policy and and course plans.
0: Yeah. Oh, we could talk about this, uh, this Uh, all day and we'll, we'll probably revisit this, but, um, let's, we should, we should talk about at least, uh, a few of the things we had, uh, discussed chatting about, um, (laughs) before, before we go any further, Steve, um, I've got a question for you that will hopefully just allow you to share a little bit more about, uh, you know, yourself and, and, uh, your, your career, um, and my question is, uh, really sort of a scenario. So picture this, you're stuck on an airport shuttle bus, you're headed to terminal B from terminal a, and the guy sitting next to you asks you what you do for a living. And he's one of those, you know, fellows who, uh, he's, he doesn't want your whole life story, but he's, he's not gonna, you know, <laughs> let you get away with something as simple as I'm a higher education consultant. So, uh, how do you explain who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, you know, having been a consultant for the last six years, that is not a, uh, a far-fetched scenario. So, and, and the way, I guess, I would approach that response um, is, you know, when I, when, you know, just in my everyday life when people ask me what I do, what I do for a living. And it's, you know, it's, I'm an experienced enrollment manager who, you know, um, yeah, helps colleges and universities address the challenges that they faced. Um, In attracting enrolling and supporting students right and and I do that by engaging, you know staff and faculty and students to really understand what's going on what are the issues at hand. Um, And then, you know, assessing that and using my experience and my uh, knowledge base from working with institutions across the country to offer up solutions that are, you know, a a good fit for that particular institution in the context they find themselves in.
0: Very well said. Very well said. Um, If I was the guy sitting next to you, I'd have a bunch of additional questions, but um, for the sake of time, we we will move on. Um, I'm curious <laughs> to if you, can you go back to um, what and share with us really sort of like what initially led you into higher ed. What was your first job in the space? And I, I'm particularly interested to know if there was like a lesson or or two that that you learned during that very first gig that you've kept with you and, and carried with you to this day.
1: Yeah. So how did I get into higher ed? Well, you know, after graduating school, I worked in radio sales, which, you know, is a really high growth industry.
0: But radio sales. um, No no kidding.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was my first job out of college. But um, no, I was I was really, you know, I was a huge uh, student leadership kid in in college at my undergraduate experience. And so I, you know, I love the the campus life, right? The environment, the culture, the diversity of ideas, just just you know the 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 atmosphere. So um, when I you know in that first job of radio sales, I obviously wasn't really living my dream. And you know a local school um, advertised uh, an admissions counselor position. So I thought, well, hey, great! You know this is an opportunity to get back into. Uh, higher education. I think I could do something like this. You know, I like hanging out with people and and talking about the college experience. So let's do it. So, um, and and got that job. And um, you know, my my job my role was to build out um, the uh, the high school market for this local school. Right, it was a small okay. school, 400 students, um, somewhat smaller community, and they really had not uh, d- developed any relationships with the, with the high school. So that was my, my main role, uh, in, at that institution. And, um, you know, that the, the lessons learned, lessons learned there were one, listen to the student. I think that was the one skill If I think about my career in admissions, hmm. um, you know, listening to the student, understanding where they're at, who they are and what their needs are. Um, is critical to any successful admissions counseling position, right? I mean, if you're not listening to the student, you're not doing your job. Um, and that you know and that's why I love you know like Coach Tears does a lot of uh, uh, speaking on this to colleges, universities, and that's something you know we really try to instill in our staffs. I mean, you know, when you're a small, uh, somewhat rural institution, um, you know, it's those personal relationships that really make the difference. So if they feel like you're listening to them and you understand them, um, that that's going to go a long way. Uh, the other piece <laughs> was, you know, be realistic mm. in your expectations, right? In terms of the, the um, uh, in terms of enrollment growth, in terms of your ability to enter into new markets, um, you know, that's the you know I, I think you know being grounded, being realistic, and in, in the uh, what you can do um, it was another lesson for me um, that uh, served me well throughout my career.
0: I'm curious about were there any um, uh, tactics that you learned during your dales? Your dales? Gosh, dales. It's oh, it's okay. it's it's too early here. Um, <laughs> during your your days um, as a, uh, radio salesman that, um, you sort of took into enrollment management?
1: (laughs) Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Wow.
0: I mean, I I see see, a lot of synergy. I I mean, again, yeah,
1: I, I, again, it's, it's, yeah, you're right. Because there's a lot of relatable thing. I mean, I was at, you know, at a radio, small radio station in a small town. So, you know, what's the what's the benefit to me as a hardware store owner or a you know beauty salon or a uh, uh, you know convenience store to advertise on the radio and it really is you know getting to know the individual their challenges their goals Um, you know, what they're trying to, their customers, what they're trying to accomplish, right? It's translatable over to a student, you know, what, who are you and what do you want to accomplish with your life? What's your goals? And, you know, what kind of environment do you want to be in? It's, you know, asking the right questions to get you the information that you need to then align, you know, whether it's, you know, radio sales, I didn't think I was going to talk that much about it today, but radio sales and or college education, right? I mean, how to align what you provide your organization provides to to individuals and making sure that it matches up with their needs and, and their goals and then talking about the benefits of, of choosing you over uh, other places.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, uh, you know, I, I think the idea to of starting with listening to students and how important that is and really how sort of that should drive enrollment marketing strategy at least be sort of like a key component around what are our own what are our existing constituents actually saying about you know the institution but also about like what their journey to enrollment was like um and it, it really reminds me of something that i've been talking to a couple of folks about recently around you know schools spend uh and this will vary depending on size of institution, but I'd I'd imagine in your various posts, like you guys have spent money, you've probably spent money on some sort of market research or some sort of like, hey, let's hire a bunch of, you know, let's pay a bunch of high school students 10 bucks an hour to come and, you know, test this, uh, you know, uh, jump around our new website, right? Like, let's understand sort of like what friction points might exist on this new brand messaging that we're about to launch or this this new website that we're gearing up to, to, to make live. Um, and that this is like very, very, very common for, for schools to do. And one of the things that like I have come to realize is just the amount of money that is like poured into this. Um, and what I, what I would encourage folks to think about, and depending on your context, like you might, it might be a good idea, but I think another like very like equally good idea would be, how do you go about, in your existing, with your existing students, coming up with some sort of, like, not student advisory board, but almost like a a student, like a beta test group, where, like, you say, hey, we have identified you as a, you know, quality, awesome student. You, you, are, you are who we want more of at this institution. Like, we really want your feedback on these things. And you, you come up with, like, a council of, I don't know, like, a handful of students to vet new ideas um, by. And I think... What schools do when they say, like, or at least what schools attempt to do when they say, hey, we're gonna, we do listen to our students, is they might send out a survey or they might ask a few general questions about what do you like most about this, you know, our campus and whatnot. But I think, like, this idea of finding a diverse set of students that you could welcome into the sort of this advisory group and really like, picking their brains and having a, like a longer term relationship with that subset of students. I think that could be incredibly valuable uh, as schools think about like where to place their, you know, scarce dollars with respect to enrollment marketing.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I, you know, I, you know, in all the work that I've done as a consultant, we've, we've done focus student focus groups, right. Because you need the voice of the students and their experience uh, to really understand um, you know how to optimize the 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 process and the messaging uh, to attract uh, those students. and so we 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 do that, you know when when we I was working with Kansas State, they do a great job, a phenomenal job of you know meeting with current students on a regular basis. Hmm. Um, you know, shortly after they enrolled first semester in, you know, second semester in to get feedback and, you know, they do it, you know, not incredibly scientific, but, you know, lunches and, and dinners and things like that, where they just get students together and 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 have a back and forth in terms of, you know, what's going on, what works, what doesn't, you know, um, you know, what was your journey like and, and how can we improve it? So, yeah, I, I totally agree that that's an incredibly valuable um, exercise to engage in. And if schools aren't doing it, you know, they're missing out on a lot of opportunity. And the other piece that I'll add, you know, oftentimes, you know, folks will say, well, we want to hear from the students who didn't choose to come to the institution. Um, And that's a much harder group to get to. But I think you know, some of the work, you know, I, I know you've had the uh, the uh, social listening people on uh, on the podcast before. Um, and so I, I think it's incredibly uh, important for schools to monitor what folks are saying about them online. Uh, and, and, then, and oftentimes you'll get, you know, the good and the bad, right? So you can really start to get some authentic viewpoints about the experience. And so if um, to pay attention to the various social media threads or to Reddit, to YouTube, you know, those types of things, I think, help complement um, the messages and the insights you're getting from the students that you're talking to who did choose to enroll at your school.
0: Fantastic. I, I couldn't agree more with those with those insights and, and that added context. So, you know, Steve, you've had uh, quite the career in higher ed, you know, working as a director of financial aid to working in a larger, greater sort of uh, enrollment management sort of uh, role to working in consulting to serving as interim cabinet members at universities. So I, I really want to just talk about your various, the various perspectives and, and frameworks, and even just stories that you've gathered in each of these uh, seasons of your career. So, you know, for years you worked as a recruiter at institutions that, as we chatted about before, weren't super well known. And I'm just curious, like, what strategies and tactics did you use at college fairs or campus visits uh, in order to stand out? Is there, a, is there a particular story that comes to mind about this time that, that you wouldn't mind sharing with us? <laughs>
1: I think the main message out of that is I can't keep a job. No, uh, <laughs> move around a lot. No, I mean I, I, I'm one who likes different experiences. But yeah, um, you know you're right. I mean I worked you know schools like Ripon, Lebanon Valley, Concordia. You know smaller, great schools, just you know not widely known. And you know I, there's no magic right. There's no magic bullet to any of this. And I think you know what we emphasize at each of those institutions is that you know it's all about you know. Establishing those relationships with students, right? To to be that school that really um, is authentic, is 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 engaged and and is interested in who they are as individuals. Now that said, you know we were never um, afraid to try some gimmicky things. So when you when you were asking that question, you know the one thing that's that stood out to me as an experience. This was probably. Uh, oh, it's got to be at least ten, if not uh, twelve years ago, and this is uh, when I was at Ripon. Uh, the president at the time was a huge uh, mountain bike uh, fan, still is. He, you know, he's still active uh, and still working as a college president, just not at, at Ripon. And so, um, his idea was let's let's um, uh, partner with a, a bike company and have them build custom. Ripping college bikes, mountain bikes, wow. and we would offer those to students who decide to enroll. Um, you know, and, and the skeptic in me is like, "Are you kidding me? This is this is where we're going to hang our hat on in terms of standing out in the marketplace." Now, um, you know, that said, it it you know it got a tremendous amount of press. Um, you know, unfortunately, short lived, but it was press at the time. That you know hey there's this school in in central Wisconsin who was um, you know was uh, committed to you know, biking and has partnered with this bike and, and they were really nice bikes um, and it was all decked out and ripped in, in logos and stuff like that wow. and so um, and and you know sort of it was one of those just quirky things you know it was in the age of the laptops and the iPads and whatever else and you know here comes this little school coming along with with mountain bikes, and so we did get some traction out of it we did Um, you know, get some press. And so it, it, you know, it served its purpose in terms of elevating the level of awareness of the institution that we wouldn't have normally gotten. So that's, that's one unique little thing that we did. And then, The other thing that we did while we were there, while I was there, um, is there was a cookie factory in town and, um, you know, everybody, you know, when campus visits, people give out t-shirts or water bottles or stickers nowadays. And at the time, you know, the, the one thing that we tried to do, or one of the things I should say that we wanted, that we tried to do when, when students visited was, um, we gave them a package of ripping good cookies. That was the company in town. And so, um, and we'd have different Uh, options for them to choose from uh, in terms of the cookies. So that was sort of something we wanted to leave the student with to remember their visit to, to the college.
0: I love that. Cookies and mountain bikes. Um, take notes, folks. <laughs> Great combination, take notes. right? Yeah. Yeah, take that's notes. it,
1: people. I'm giving out <laughs> magic here. Take notes. No, I mean, and it was, you know, just obviously, it's, you know, this is a, a largely emotional decision, right? We sure. often sure. get frustrated with students, you know, why aren't they making these logical decisions to attend our institution? Well, you know, oftentimes it's sort of the memories we give to students. Yeah. Uh, on their time, in their time with us. And so, uh, you know, if we can, if we can. Have us stick out in their mind because they got a mountain biker. We they stick out because we they got a package of cookies uh, when, when they were on the campus. Uh, that's great, you know. It's and it's it's the margins that uh, make a difference sometimes.
0: No, and it, you know I think that this just it totally aligns with the whole idea of being different. Um, and you know, uh, schools are when when it comes to sort of these college fairs or just even virtual events today like the offers are just very 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 consistent right like little piece of swag hey you know get a Mm -hmm, discount mm -hmm. or you know we'll waive your application fee and like all, all those things can be good and whatnot and i'm not here to to um poo poo any of those tactics but like i think that it is there is something that's just naturally attractive and sticky about like something that's different and new and it reminds me actually of like um i was actually talking to uh, seth o'dell who's uh the founder of kenahoma a new marketing agency but he spent a lot of time um at southern new hampshire university and he was talking about how they had he got to work on like that campaign which you might remember where they basically got a whole like bus um decked it out in snhu oh, yeah. sort of like mm-hmm. colors and um you know all the glitter and, and, and whatnot and then like drove to deliver ac- across the country to deliver like diplomas to uh to their students and you know that got like a ton of attention and right. lots of press and they did you know videos or whatever anyways he was sharing with me that like that was like an example of something that like seemed just crazy um and again what was a big gamble in many ways um and yet turned out to be something that people to this day really remember and so anyways you're the- um, reminded me of the uh, SNHU bus. So uh, for what it's worth, hey, guys, being different, you know, buses, bikes might be worth considering yeah, in man. next year's strategic <laughs> enrollment marketing plan. Right, <laughs> oh, right. right.
1: Exactly.
0: Well, Steve, I'm curious. So I, I love to hear, I always like hearing why people and I know that this is complicated. This tends to be complicated, but like I'm always interested in why people uh, make moves, and specifically, like lessons learned once they move into from you know a director level to a VP level, or uh, even you know program coordinator, admissions counselor to the director level. Like what lessons that they learn uh, during their what uh, while sort of sitting in a more senior role that they you know previously. Um, weren't exposed to or hadn't had the opportunity to learn in uh, a a sort of like managerial or entry level position. So I'm curious about your time at Concordia College and what lessons as VP of Enrollment Management there did you learn uh, that were different from your time at Ripon?
1: Yeah, well, uh a a couple things I would say uh one from a um a market position uh perspective and the other one from a uh from an organizational perspective. So, you know, w- one big difference uh between a, a Ripon College and a in Concordia was the the um strong religious affiliation. Uh, right? I mean, um, uh concordia is a you know associated with the evangelical lutheran church of america and you know and and, and rightly so takes great pride in that and so it was part of um sort of the value proposition of the institution and that was the the first institution i mean i've worked at other smaller privates that had historical affiliations to churches but they weren't uh, as active and as strong as the one at concordia so that was that was a learning experience for me to to how to you know integrate you know that component into um, the overall value proposition for the institution, not only for students who that was that was a, an important factor, but for those that were it wasn't an important factor. and 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 how do you address that uh, with students um, it, it, you know uh, across the board? And so that was that was a, a steep learning curve for me. Um, to talk about you know sort of the spiritual aspect of the, the uh, uh, higher education experience and, and what that what value, additional value you know, add-ons that that brings to the experience for, for all students. And so that was a, that was a very different experience for me. And then the other piece was um, on the organizational side, the portfolio of responsibilities that I had at Concordia versus Ripon, you know I had, Uh, a student success component uh, that I had not had at previous institutions. And so, you know, typically, you know, enrollment management stays in its lane of admissions, financial aid, and and in some cases it has um, registrars or or some other type of student function. This had a a, a particular uh, student success aspect that overlapped with academics and it overlapped with um, student affairs. And so it was a It was a, you know, it was, there were different relationships that needed to be established and maintained uh, in that, in that role that I, that I hadn't had previously. So that was, again, understanding, you know, how we work closely in collaboration with those other divisions to ultimately achieve the, the same goal, right? It's all, it's all about student success and student outcomes, and so uh, you know, what role do we play in enrollment management, both in recruiting right fit students, but also then supporting them once they're there, uh, in addition to um, um, you know the sort of the traditional roles. So yeah. that was, for me, that was sort of understanding that I'm part of something bigger now, right? I mean, I've always enrollment management is obviously it, it, it tied to all aspects of the institution. Uh, but this was really a true collaboration. So I, again, I think it applies where understanding how to um, you know engage with your partners on campus, you know, making sure that you're you know you're, you're you know building things together and stronger and working in in concert with one another as opposed to competing for resources and thinking your approach is the best approach possible why would you do it any other way so it's about compromise collaboration and coordination the three c's uh, uh, that's my new management book coming out
0: the I three guess, c's but, i like it. Uh, the
1: three c's no but I, again I, I think that's that's a big change for a lot of folks who are moving into different levels of work going back to your your question it's you know, what are those, uh, you know, perspectives and skills you need to bring to it. And that is really, you know, how well do you work with others? You know, those kindergarten lessons and, um, you know, in terms of understanding their perspectives, uh, and what they're trying to accomplish and then how you can work together to achieve the, uh, the same goal. Well,
0: and what I also hear you saying, which I think is, uh, often overlooked, um, Overlooked in the sense of it being a challenge is sort of this this tension that exists between hey you're coming in to uh, enact a cha- enact some change to bring sort of your uh, your portfolio of experiences to the school you've learned a thing or two along the way right you've got a particular way of leading and or approaching. Um, uh, you know, team development and how you should think about promoting your programs and promoting overall brand experience, et cetera. And yet, you also have to sort of like couple that with like a deep listening around who is this brand? Like what, what, how is this brand different from the brands of previous institutions that I've worked with? What do they really care about? What has worked really well? Who are the players? Like, oh, okay. Hey, I have this area of, of, uh, responsibility that didn't exist in my previous position. Um, okay, cool. How does that relate with, you know, and really impact my overarching role as a leader here. And so, I think that like the best, the people that are most successful, especially when they're jumping from institutions and entering into a, you know, upper level management, um, it, are the folks that can sort of like ride that tension between bringing about sort of the change that the university mm. needs that you right. are, you know, equipped to bring about while also sort of like coupling that with like a deep listing around what is unique about this space, um, that's just you know, so that I can pay attention to it so you don't miss it. Because I think what can happen is you come in, a lot of folks come in with their agenda, guns blazing. Yeah, they might do, you know, some basic listening exercises, but I think that what can happen with that, a danger with that is you you often overlook what is specifically unique about that place. Um, and so what right. I hear right. you you sharing too is just like the importance of like really like spending time understanding, hey this is what's important to Concordia. Like this is what actually does make them unique and different. Like, let's be sure that we don't squash this as we seek to grow.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, and, and I, I, perfect example, right. I mean, when I, you know we, you know they they are often if you if you don't know Concordia you know they're the Cobbers right and that's their mascot and they're often in the the ESPN uh, most unique mascot yeah. names along with yeah. Santa Cruz but but I mean th- to that end I mean that was you know it was it, oftentimes it was something we'd run a well uh, we'd run away from right that oh you know it's it's kind of those quirky names and we want to be taken more seriously um, but but to your very point I mean we it, by doing that we overlooked. What made that inst- what makes that institution special and yeah. unique uh, and and can create connections with prospective students and so uh, w- w- you know in my latter years there um, we worked with a, a marketing uh, agency and you know we did the market research and had a lot of conversations and lo and behold you know it was embrace you know sort of the cobber uh, component uh, to the institution and that was something that was it's different it's unique it's it's reflective of the the institution they take it very seriously and it's you know it, it's uh, a, a strong connection with alumni and so it really uh, was something that you know uh, chose to embrace and 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 that you know certainly worked for the institution
0: so i want to talk now about your decision to move to the dark side um and <laughs> become a consultant so up until this point right you've been working at uh, a few different institutions uh, in a variety of roles uh, why did you decide to move to uh, her uh, Huron and what was it specifically like I'm curious like uh, what what is the process of like deciding to leave a post and move to a post where you're going to be serving probably I don't actually know what you were doing there but I would imagine you were serving like multiple clients um as opposed to sort of being uh in a leadership role and having sort of autonomy over one school so Right, why did you right. decide to move there and then any sort of specific tools or skill sets that you, uh, acquired there that were instrumental to what you did, um, after?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it was, you know, it, like anything else, it was a process, right. It, it was sort of an evolution, you know, as you articulated, you know, my vast experience at a, at a number of different institutions. Um, I had, you know, certainly, um, had a lot of great experiences. And, you know, ultimately, you know, felt as though, you know, I love the work that I do, but, you know, I want to do something different, right? I want a different perspective on this. I want to, you know, I felt like my growth uh, uh, pattern, growth trajectory was flattening out. And so it was time to, you know, just time for change. And, um you know consulting offered that right it offered the opportunity to uh, you know engage with institutions and live in the student life cycle space but not be beholden to just one institution so it was it was an opportunity to really experience a lot of different institutions in different contexts different settings with different challenges um and that was really uh, you know, a, a very exciting opportunity. The other thing about uh, that attracted me to Huron specifically was it's it's pure consulting. It's not uh, tied to a particular product or service, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of consultants who you know uh, represent a certain type of service, whether it's marketing or search or technology. Um, and so this was an opportunity to just go in and be a strategic enrollment management consultant and. Uh, And work with institutions with their challenges and so that was that was uh, very attractive in in terms of the role there and you're right it was a it was a a a different uh, experience i wasn't the leader of the practice i was you know a project manager within the practice so i had to you know in terms of skills to develop was i you know uh, I was responsible for a number of different projects. And so I had to learn, you know, project management skills. And the timelines were far more condensed than anything that I had worked with uh, in higher education because instead of semester long or year-long uh you know, projects, we were working on, you know, eight, 10 week projects, right? That yeah. had you had to absorb a ton of information in a very short amount of time, quickly analyze it, come up with ideas and solutions, and then present those to your client and work with them to um, to uh, build the foundations to successfully implement those recommendations. So it was, you know, the project management piece, the, the, the problem-solving skills in terms of processing lots of information quickly, uh, being adaptable to a number of different environments, right? So I had, my entire career had been spent in smaller private institutions. And uh, at the time, Huron's client base was largely, you know, the top 100 research universities in the country. So I'm you know, going from 1,000, 1,500 student populations to ten to 15,000 student populations yeah. and having to translate the skills and the, you know, the knowledge that I had working at those smaller institutions into how is it going to work at a much larger institution with, you know, uh, you know, many more uh, layers of bureaucracy and silos in terms of information and organizations. So uh, that was a tremendous uh, learning curve for me uh, moving from, you know, being a practitioner to a consultant. Um, and having to adapt to that new environment, um, and you know, to move much quicker and adapt much quicker than you typically have time for when you're sitting in the seat uh, permanently. And then the other piece was, you know, confidence building for me, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, you know, the confidence to share my ideas. You know, who's this guy coming in and, and telling us? What to do uh, or how to do it right. It was, you know, establishing trust with the client, getting to know them and their issues, and then, you know, working with them to identify solutions, and then how to resource or how to organize in order to do things differently in order to succeed.
0: Yeah, that um, I I, I'm just and listening to you, sort of just imagining both just how exciting that move must have been, and also just, quite frankly, how scary it was to, uh, you know, yeah. I, I imagine sort of like wrestling with like, you know, imposter syndrome a little bit around like, whoa, like, okay, here I am, you know, leading teams and and helping sort of like develop and, and implement strategic enrollment plans for smaller institutions. And now I'm being asked to kind of step into, uh, you know, bigger shoes where I'm, I'm not even. I don't. I can't control whether or not like the act. My recommendations actually get implemented. I've got to come up with solid ideas that I can then equip a different team. Quite frankly, to 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 go right. about implementing. Um, and I think that yeah. there's there's just a lot of risk in that and fear in that, and yet also just incredible opportunity and uh, and growth opportunity in particular. Um. Yeah, that that must have been sort of like, I can imagine those first like, you know, few months just being like, how do I how, like a little bit like a dance? Like, how do I how do I do this? Well, um, you know, oh, you're, you're my not- gosh,
1: apps. Yeah, abs- I mean, I knew enrollment management, I didn't know how to be a consultant. And that, you know, you, people, you know, make jokes, you know, dark side, and, you know, <laughs> and this that telling us what we already know type of stuff. But that it that is it is hard work um it is um it takes a, a, you know great skill and tact i mean communication organization analytical um political skill i mean and it it is not for everybody yeah. um it is you know it, it, it it's not the glamorous life it's 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 hard work and but i mean the, the 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 thing that keeps you going as a consultant is the opportunity again you know to make a difference right to to help solve problems and, and help institutions meet challenges yeah uh, it's not that they're in, incapable of doing it it's, it's oftentimes they just need that catalyst that individual to come in and, and make connections to shine a light on specific issues uh, and get people around the table and start talking uh, for an institution to be able to move forward um, that's typically what it is. So yeah, it was, it, 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 after 20 plus years in higher ed, I mean, that was, uh, that was an incredible, uh, growth experience for me, uh, as a consultant.
0: I've got two final questions for you, Steve, and then I'm going to let you go. Um, and the first one is sort of like in this role you're in now, you're in an interim role and, um, you know, it's been, I've noticed based off your LinkedIn profile and then just a, a couple of our other conversations that you've been in a couple of positions, um, with, uh, uh, I think that the, the registry sort of like set you up with, um, and I'm just curious, like as somebody who is in this, um, you know, strategic really in interim role, how, like, what do you love most about being in interim roles? And then like, what is like, like the most challenging aspect of being in an interim role?
1: yeah I you know it's um it's the same thing, right? It, in terms of the what I love about it and what's most challenging. and that's that's the time constraint that you have uh, right. as an interim, right? you are you're brought in. you have a and and typically, you know the registry we're typically well at least for me, my typical experience has been I, I serve it for an academic year. Uh, while they uh, search for the the permanent person. So with that, you know the time. The great thing about it is, you know, you have to move quickly, right? Things have to be done in short order, um, it, it, you know, in order to have uh, an impact. And so you have to uh, accomplish these things within the time that you have to do them. Um, and then, you know, the flip side of that is, yeah, you only have so much time, right? There's only so much you can do. Um, and you know, uh, you know, so you have to make some choices about what can and cannot be done in the time that you have with the institution, knowing that there's so much more you could be doing. Um, and then, you know, you don't get to sort of see the, you know, the results of the work that you do, because we know, you know, enrollment management in, in, at least at the, you know, the traditional undergraduate level, that's a long-term relationship you have with the student. It's not. Um, you know, a, a quick turnaround, and so oftentimes the work that you do doesn't pay off until a year or two um, after you're gone. Um, it, it, you know, when you're thinking about strategic enrollment management, certainly if you're if you're brought in to help bring the class in, you, you typically get to to see some of that. But that's that's sort of the 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 the, the thing I like and what I don't like about it. And then you know, I guess one other thing that that comes to mind about uh, that one challenge is that, you know, you are the interim, right? And so there is sort of a hesitation on people's part oftentimes that, you know, how much change should we enact here, knowing that someone else is going to come and follow you and and may change this completely around. So I often, you know, I stayed up front, you know, my role is to help the next person or the permanent person be successful. And so the decisions I'm making are meant to, uh, help the team as well as the person who gets this role, you know, hit the ground running and and be successful. But that that's another drawback is that uh, sometimes people are a little bit hesitant because they know, um, you know, someone else is, is about to follow you.
0: Yeah, I, I imagine sort of like your... Uh, internal wrestling between okay is this something worth tackling and jumping into and you know writing the ship on or not i i I bet there's sort of like this daily struggle of like okay do i get invested in this do i bring about like a clarity (laughs) here like do i decide to you know resolve this particular issue that we're that we're uh that the team is sort of like uh uh, uh, struggling with and, and, or do you, do you leave it for the next person? Um, and so I think that that's, uh, yeah, I, I imagine sort of that, that tension being, um, very, very present and it, it taking really somebody who quite honestly probably has like the skill sets that, that you've acquired over the years of being able to sort of understand, you know, okay, how do you keep general, how do you keep the institution moving in the right direction? Um, even sort right. of, you know, while also giving it room to sort of like shift um as it as it progresses in that direction, so um makes a ton yeah, of sense there's,
1: there's always a hundred challenges in enrollment management at any institution, regardless of where they are or who they are, but it's it's all about prior for an interim, it's about prioritizing what things are most important yeah. uh to this institution and what can I have an impact on while I'm here versus those things that are just gonna take longer to uh to play out,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Steve, my last question for you is if you could go back and make any edits to your professional career, uh, would you? I'm curious if, if, if there are positions that you wish you had held on to a little bit more, if you wish you had left a little bit sooner, or if, you know, <laughs> hey, hindsight's 2020, and I am just, you know, I, I, I feel very good about sort of all the decisions that I've made in my career.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, like everybody, I mean, there, there's, there are, there are positions that sure, I would love to have I, I would have stayed, you know, I, you know, uh, Ripon was an I, I idyllic like experience. I mean, it was, it, it's a great school, great people, great community. And, you know, my kids were born there and, um, and so it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, you know, I would like to have stayed there longer. Um, you know, I did an interim position at Lebanon Valley, and it was just an incredible experience and a wonderful school. And I think, man, I you know I would love to have stayed there uh, longer than I had the opportunity to. But you know, the other part of it is, you know, the decisions I made and the choices, you know, and the changes I made when I made them you know, have gotten me to where I'm at now, right, and, and made me the person I am now. And so I think, you know, while I probably would have tweaked some things and, and not worked at certain places, um, you know, by and large, I'm, I'm happy with the decisions I've made and where I'm at right now and, and, and feel as though that uh, they, they, again, made me who I am and, and I'm in a good space.
0: Well, Steve, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate your your insight and I just feel like you're a, a wealth of knowledge um and just a lot to to learn from given sort of just the, the various posts that you've held, the various challenges that you've you've Taken head on, um, and you know just the variety of contexts that you've that you've worked in. So, thank you for your time. If folks want to just reach out and pick your brain, and and or sort of just ask more specific questions about um, maybe some you know a, uh, of their own professional development concerns or questions about whether or not they should maybe jump or shift into into a different position, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
1: Uh, probably email is the best way to get in touch with me, and it's uh, that would be S uh, uh, Shuts. so S S C H U E T Z at midco m i d c o dot net. That's my personal email. You can reach me there. Um, that's that'd be the quickest way to get a hold of me.
0: Fantastic, and we will go ahead and uh, drop that in the show notes so it's easy for folks to shoot you an email if they just want to thank you and or pick your brain on something, but sir, I really, really appreciate your time. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks, Zach. I appreciate it. I enjoyed the experience and I appreciate the work that you do and the knowledge that you share with everybody. So thanks and best of luck to you.
0: If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, Or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at zach, Z-A-C-H, at enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.